back. All right. So, uh, devoted new series uh, today. We'll take this uh, series through through the through the summer. And after today, what what I want to do today is catch you up from where we ended the resurrection series last week. Greg Hook uh, ended our resurrection series, the Ascension of Christ on the Mount of Olives. And now the birth of the new covenant church. Uh, Jesus has inaugurated the new covenant church. We'll spend time talking about that uh, today. I'm going to catch us up from the ascension of Christ to uh, there's a paragraph at the end of Acts 2. It's Acts 2, 42 to 47. Uh, in that little paragraph, there are 10 things that the, the beginning, the, the very beginning of the new covenant church devoted themselves to. And it worked pretty well for them. The church was exploding, and so we're going to focus on those 10 things. So each week, uh, we'll talk about one of those things. So uh, on the slide here, that's Acts 2.42, and the apostles devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, the word of God, uh, prayer, fellowship, uh, breaking of bread. And then there's six more things that are talked about in that paragraph. Unity, there was a sense of unity. There was a sense of generosity and sharing among uh, the people. There was uh, a commitment to gather and worship and pray. So we're gonna talk about all those things through the summer. And we'll have a number of different speakers through the series as well. So I'm kicking us off uh, today. And then I won't be up again until probably mid-July. And so we're gonna get to hear from a number of people in our church family that will be carrying this series with me. So I'm really excited uh, about that. So let me give you some Acts 1 context. If you weren't here with us last week and bridging the gap between the resurrection series and today, uh, Acts 1 context. The, time, the timeline of Acts 1 is uh, right after Jesus appeared over a period of 40 days after the resurrection. And so we know that from the beginning of Acts 1. And so, and then he ascends to heaven off the Mount of Olives, and then the disciples linger for 10 more days, and then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, falls on the believers on the day of Pentecost. And so that's kind of the timeline. So we are 50 days, Acts chapter 2, after uh, the resurrection of Christ on the first resurrection Sunday. Here's what's really important about Acts chapter 1. The new covenant church has been inaugurated. The cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the resurrection has birthed something brand new, the new covenant of grace. The old covenant of law for God's people Israel uh, was in in the inauguration of the new covenant of grace that Jesus came and inaugurated, the old covenant of law had was now obsolete. And that's a strong word. It's out of the text. It's Hebrews chapter eight. The old covenant has now been made obsolete. The the people of God were no longer under the governance of the old covenant of law summarized by the 10 commandments. They were now empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, in the new covenant of grace. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3, What had glory, the old covenant, because it was God's standard of perfection, it had glory, but now because of the new covenant, the old covenant was fading away. And so we have this language in Hebrews 8, the old covenant has been made obsolete. We have language in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that it is fading away. So that's really, that is all happening in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. 
The other thing I want to mention about just context and acts, acts is derivative of action, right? The acts. Uh, I think, uh, I'm not not sure in my Bible, most Bibles say the acts of the apostles as a summary. That's not actually uh, the word of God. Is that what you're... Anyway, if you read something on Acts, sometimes it says the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I think it also could certainly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Uh, the movement, the supernatural movement of God among his people to to witness the good news of Jesus to the nations all the way to the ends of the earth. And so Acts is derivative of action. So the church is called to bear witness to Jesus and I'll just say this, like, you know, you know, like, the church isn't a building, right? Like, this is our ninth building that we have uh, gathered in over the 10 or so years that we've been a church community here in Fort Collins, uh, but the church isn't a building, like, we are the church. We are the church. The church, uh, church isn't something that you go to. Uh, church is a community, a family that you belong to. I grew up and Southern Methodist stuff. And when I was a kid in elementary school, we learned here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and there's all the, ha <laughs> see there? You guys, the first service laughed a lot more at that than you just did. <laughs> so you're gonna need to give me a little bit more mojo as we get into this uh, today, because that's funny. You've never heard that before. The church is a people. You are the church. We are the church. It's not a building. We understand that, but sometimes I think that we need to be reminded of that. And the church is called to go, to move, to action, to bear witness. I tell people that I coach, when I tell people they, that they know that I coach basketball at Rocky Mountain High School, and I tell people, it's like, it's really therapy for me, and they actually pay me to do it. They don't pay me a lot, they don't pay me a lot, but they pay me a little bit. Uh, and it's therapy that, that they pay me for. And if you ever watch me coach on the sideline, and I have had friends in this room that have come to not watch the team that I coach, they come to watch me coach. Because they think it's funny. Because I'm sort of intense. I'm sort of an intense guy. And you will hear me say, AK HUD, you can affirm this, guys that I've coached over the years, move, pass and move. Don't pass and stand, pass and Move, cut, move, move the ball, move your body. So always, always moving, 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 moving. Um, Exodus 14, four, give you some biblical context around this. Exodus 14, 14, actually. Most of you probably know this verse. Uh, the Lord, oh, so let me give you the context of where Exodus 14 is. Israel, uh, ten, the, the 10 plagues, right? Israel's enslaved to Egypt, Pharaoh, all the plagues, the blood to river, the frogs, the locusts, all the things. Y'all with me right now? And then finally, the 10th plague was uh, the angel of death, the firstborn son. It's the beginning of the Passover feast. God tells the Israelites, kill a, a lamb, an unspotted lamb, paint blood over your doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over your house and be saved. And so all the firstborn sons of Egypt perished that night. And so finally, Pharaoh relents, and he sends Israel and all the Israelites, all the Hebrew people away, go. And then he changes his mind, and he's like, no, I'm going to go kill them. And so they're at the Red Sea, and all of Pharaoh's army is coming, and everybody's totally overwhelmed and afraid. And there's this, Lucas, you're going to love this, because we've talked about this before, Uh, Exodus 14, 14. You know this verse. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do you know what the next verse says? It's kind of like, we know John 3, 16, but we don't know John 3, 17. Maybe read John 3, 17 later. I mean, it's an amazing verse. It's like Exodus 14, 14. We know that verse. Listen to Exodus 14, 15. Right after it says, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still, Exodus 14, 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move. Stretch your staff out over the water, command the water to part, and tell the people to go through. So it's like this empowerment of God, be still, let the Lord fight for you, and why are you standing on the Egypt side, get moving through the Red Sea. It's really, really amazing. See, we're gonna see a very similar reality of that in Acts 1-8. This um, famous commission on the Mount of Olives before Jesus ascends, Acts 1-8. You, Jesus tells the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, here, right here in Jerusalem, and in Judea, the the region around us, and in Samaria to to non-Jewish people, to your enemies, the Samaritans, and to the ends of the earth. So we, we look at this verse, and the question I want you to think about here is what comes first In this call of Jesus to the disciples, what comes first? Does the call to witness come first or does the promise of God's power, of God's empowerment come first? It's not a trick question, right? Yep, talk to me, talk to me. The empowerment, the empowerment comes first. You will receive power first and foremost And then you will be my witnesses. And it's really important that we understand that. God always empowers us, enables us by his grace to do what he commands us to do because what he commands us to do, be a witness of the transforming power of the gospel and the kingdom of God is supernatural, So we can't do what God has called us to do, be a witness, unless God empowers us supernaturally to do what he calls us to do. And the scriptures bear witness to this all the time. Exodus 14 is one example of that. Another one is 1 John 4. Most of you probably know this verse. You can quote it yourself. We love because he first loved us. Emphasis on the empowerment, the enabling power of God first and foremost to us, and then through us to other people. So the action, the moving, the going that God has called us to do or be a witness is supernatural. You can't, we just simply can't do that on our own. We must have the empowerment, and that's exactly what God gives the church in Acts chapter 1. You've heard me use language uh, to learn the difference between for and from, if you've been around our community for any amount of time, we aren't working or going or acting for something. We are going, we are being sent, we are moving from this place of God's empowerment to us. 
You've heard me use this language. We don't fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory. Same idea in Acts 1.8. You will receive the power. And then you are empowered to be a witness. It flows from his empowerment. So I want to... I want to just pause here for a moment and just offer a word of caution uh, as we think about Acts 1-8 and the reason why we chose devoted, uh, the birth of the new covenant church. So the word devoted is directly out of Acts 2.42. But here's the word of caution around the word devoted. Uh, Christianity uh, can so often or occasionally or often or somewhere in there uh, come across to you, to people, uh, in church as uh, restrictive or um, rigid or feeling constrained. And so I just, I, I want to spend a few moments just talking about this word, devoted. Because I, I've talked with a lot of people over a lot of years who have felt that constraint, that rigidity, that pressure to be more devoted. And so, while this is a biblical word that, we, that I want us to embrace and feel empowered to and transformed by, I wanna, I'm nervous, I'm nervous that we will make devotion about how hard we work or how well we can do it. I remember being a younger follower of Jesus and hearing someone say to me, you know, Jason, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. Anyone else in the room ever heard that before? Yeah. So what do they read when they read your life? Those are a sobering question. And it used to really jack with me. Like, I am the only person that someone will ever read, and so their eternal salvation is now up to me? It used to really jack with me, but it, it don't jack with me anymore. I'm so thankful that God has liberated me from this more like pressure-oriented, um, legalistic, works-based way of thinking about life and God and life with God. I'm so thankful for the revelation of what I understand and know to be at a place of rest as a new covenant believer, empowered, enabled, given an invitation to participate with the supernatural work of God. I'm so thankful that Jesus has shown me his grace. I'm so thankful that God has helped me see that I simply am not powerful enough or smart enough to change anybody's minds, but I get to be a witness. I get to, I get to participate in the work of God and the life and the time that God has given me. But my witness in this transformation of grace and freedom has, my witness has changed dramatically over the last 10 or 15 years. The pressure is gone. Again, it's, I don't feel the pressure to convert anyone or convince someone. I love Jody's language. Like, I don't feel pressure to convince you, but I, but I stand convinced because I know the transforming work that God has done in my own life and the work that God's transforming even today. I simply get to share the news that has changed me and invite you to consider the same transformation. So I'm not 
doing, I'm not doing a witness anymore. I literally, I'm not tracking how many people a week I talk to about Jesus. I literally used to do that. See if I could, I mean, just, just that kind of thought process. Um, I simply get to share the news and I'm not tracking my numbers anymore. I am not doing a witness. I am being a witness, which is exactly what Jesus says to be. He doesn't say do a witness. He says be, be an empowered witness of the transforming power of God in your life to you and now through you to other people. And there's a really liberating difference between doing witness and being a witness. Trust me. All right, so two things from Acts 1.8, and then we'll get to chapter two. Every follower of Jesus is empowered first. Ephesians chapter one, we stand under the lavish truth of God's grace. And when we believe the gospel, every believer is sealed in the Holy Spirit. Every single believer is empowered, filled, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Every believer. And two, every follower of Jesus is called to be a witness, a, a missionary, a story, a storyteller with good news. What, what do we witness about? What do we witness about? Well, when they were at the end of Acts chapter one, because of Judas and that whole story with Judas, the 12 disciples wanted to add a, another disciple to replace Judas. And so uh, kind of the second half of uh, Acts one is that story. And Matthias was the one that was chosen. And so in the languages, they were deciding who that would be. There's a, there's a, a verse 22 that I wanna point out. And it says, for one of these, one of these people that we're gonna choose among and have the Lord uh, confirm, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. That is, that is the message. That is the witnessing. And as you think about your story, uh, where you are in your journey today, in your life, Somewhere along the line of your life, somebody was a witness to you. Somebody had a story. Somebody had a, a trans, transformation story. They had a resurrection story. In our resurrection series, we've had people in our church family bearing witness, telling story of God's power to resurrect things, dead things in their own life. And it's an ongoing process and work. And Kelly so beautifully talked about that last week. Somewhere, some day, some relationship, somebody was an effective witness in your life. And the gospel story got from the first century, Acts chapter one and two, to your life. And I'm hoping right now in this moment, you're even thinking about who that is or who that was. Somebody was a witness and you believed and you got caught up in the transforming glory of the gospel of Jesus. And here here you are and here we are. And so I hope as you think about who that person or those people were, that your heart, even in this moment, is just so stirred in gratitude. Gratitude, joy, thanksgiving. And that you, you have an opportunity to participate 
with the transforming work of God to be a person like that to someone else. It's wonderful. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. There's no legalism. It's just an opportunity for us to give to someone else what was so freely given to you. And now you also are an empowered witness of Jesus. Starts with our neighbors, certainly starts with our neighbors, and then it moves out. Starts in Jerusalem, and it moves out from there. Acts chapter one. So Acts chapter two is where I want to move to now, and we'll, we'll talk about what's happening in this empowerment, because Jesus promises the empowerment in Acts 1.8, right? You will receive power. You're going to receive power. He told the disciples in John chapter 16 on the Thursday night before he would go to the cross, it is good for me to go away so that I can send you the counselor, the Holy Spirit. It's all happening in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. By the way, did you know that Jesus was crucified on the actual Passover, On the actual day of the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. Now it's 50 days later. It is Pentecost, 50 days later. 10 days ago, Jesus ascended. They've been waiting. There's 122 of them or so. That's what Acts 1 tells us, and they're waiting. And then Acts 2, everything, everything, everything is new now. Everything has changed. We'll work through a few of the passages in Acts chapter 2. So let me read. 2, 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost, Penta 50, Pentecost annual Jewish feast, 50 days after the Passover feast, 50 days after the cross of Jesus, when the day of Pentecost came, they, they, the 120 or so, that's, we get that from Acts chapter 1, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting And they saw what seemed to be, seemed to be, not sure, something's happening, something supernatural is happening in our midst. It seems to be, seems to be like tongues of fire that that separated. It's like this fire, and then there's like these tongues of fire that began separating from the main source and came to rest on each of them. If you have a pen or a pencil or something, underline on each of them. That's really important. We'll talk about that in just a minute. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages, like literal languages. They speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them, underline enabled them. So they, they were the 120. Uh, Acts 1.15, 120 believers, the disciples, and then the community around them, the women, the 120 or so. Probably about like this. I think there might be a little bit more than 120 in the room, but this, is, this little sanctuary is pretty intimate. That's where they were, waiting, waiting, waiting. Jesus said, you'll receive power and you'll be witnesses. Wait here. Pentecost, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. The place, uh, most likely, perhaps, I don't know how likely actually, but perhaps, perhaps the same upper room that the disciples were in on 
the Thursday before Good Friday. Uh, think attic. Think uh, a chamber, uh, roof chamber in Jerusalem. That's where they were. Pentecost, again, Greek word that means 50, 50 days after the annual Jewish celebration of Passover, which we've talked about. Again, context of Acts chapter 3, this is really amazing. John the Baptist, um, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God, Passover, sacrifice lamb, blood, Jesus, sacrifice on Passover feast 50 days later. This is when it's all happening. So providential. By the way, Pentecost here in Acts 2 is the fulfillment of two Two prophecies. One is in Joel, which we'll read about. Peter begins to get up and we'll hear some. I won't read the whole thing that he says today, but he'll begin to proclaim the fulfillment of a prophecy from the prophet Joel. And then the second fulfillment is what Jesus told the disciples in John 16. Like, I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna send you my spirit. And he tells them again in Acts 1. And then 10 days later, it's all happening. Pentecost. And then lastly... Wind and fire. All this wind, all this fire was, you know, it's like, it seemed like tongues of fire, wind, violent wind, like it's just, this thing is happening. This unexplainable thing is happening. Uh, but we have seen God move in similar ways in the Old Testament when we think about wind and fire. One example of wind, is Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 37 tells this story of the, prophet's vision. It's called the valley of the dry bones. And what happens in that story is the breath of God, the wind of God, the breath of God enters this valley of the dry bones and they come to life and stand on their feet. It's wild. Be reminded of what Matthew wrote about when the curtain of the temple, when Jesus said it is finished and he gave up his last breath, the curtain of the temple is torn in two full access into the holy of holies. And then Matthew says, and at that moment, people that were in the tombs just started walking out. It's crazy, it's wild. The wind, the power of God. The wind is the power, the supernatural power of God in a moment. Fire, fire is a powerful symbol of God's presence in the Old Testament. We talked about Exodus 14, Moses leading Israel through the Red Sea. Now go to Mount Sinai, he goes, they're in the wilderness, they're bickering, complaining, golden calf, that whole, that whole scene, that whole story. He goes up to Sinai and God spoke to Moses in what? A burning bush, a fire. So a fire is representative of God's presence. So wind is representative of God's power. Fire is representative of God's presence. When Israel was in the Exodus from their Egyptian slavery, God reminded them of his presence every single night by what? fire. Fulfillment, 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 fulfillment. So verse three, tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. That phrase, each of them, is really, really important, significant, huge. Because a huge change had now just taken place between the old covenant of law, which is now obsolete, and the new covenant of Grace In the old covenant, the divine presence of God was on the corporate identity of Israel, and it was in the holy of holies in the temple that only the high priest went into one day a year on the day of atonement. 
right? Now, in the new covenant, it's like be, be a witness to Jerusalem, yes, to my people Israel, Judea, but also to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so there's this transformation that's happening from God's presence only in the Holy of Holies to now on every single believer carried the very presence of God in their lives by the Holy Spirit filling them. And it's hard for us as Gentiles to understand truly how significant and radical of a shift this was. And this is, this is so gargantuan in terms of the shift of how God's people would now relate with him, the ending of the old and the beginning of the new. And now in the new covenant, the spirit rests on each individual believer, which means that you carry the anointing of God everywhere you go. If you are in Christ, if you have believed and received the work of Jesus in your life, you walk into a room and the room shifts and changes because your mind, heart, body, soul, presence is anointed by the very Holy Spirit of God. The Holy of Holies is now in you, on you, around you. Gives me chills to even say that. It's it just like, it's like what, uh, when John gets the revelation of Jesus at the beginning of Revelation, and he just fell down as if, he was, as, as if he was dead. I mean, it's just so amazing and humbling. Each of them, and then the very next verse, Acts 2, 4, as the Spirit enabled them. Enabled them to what? Enabled them to speak in other languages that they did not know beforehand. Supernatural breakthrough happening with God filling his people, 120, 120 people, now with the ability to not speak like a, like a tongue, like a, it wasn't a spiritual language. It wasn't like a private prayer language or anything like that. They were literally speaking the languages of all the people that were in Jerusalem, and they did not know the languages before. And so God gave them, I'll give you my spirit, and you'll be a witness and my spirit is powerful, and so I'm gonna supernaturally give you the ability in a moment to speak a language that you do not know so that you can speak about the gospel, the cross, and the resurrection so that people can come home and be saved. It's powerful. But I want you to underline, enabled them. So in verse three, each of them enabled them. Each of you, empowered, enabled. Carry the presence of God literally in your life my life, our life. Pretty powerful stuff, two rivers. So here's what happens. Next. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were bewildered. Verse seven, utterly amazed. They're tripping. They're straight up tripping. I mean, the wind, all the things, they're hearing their language from people that there's no way that they can know the language that we speak. So it's just, it's a wild, it's a wild thing. They're, they're utterly amazed. They're bewildered. They're hearing their native language. Um, Parthians, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce all these places the right way. Part, so don't judge me. Please don't judge. I just, I'm just gonna try to do my best, okay? All right? Parthians, I didn't listen to that. You know the Bible app that you don't, you can hear it. Sometimes I do that. I didn't do that today, so 
Apologies ahead of time. Uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and Arabs, and Arabs were there. Every, the nations, all in Jerusalem. Amazed and perplexed, so they were bewildered. And then, they, then it says they were utterly amazed, and now they are perplexed. It's like Milli Vanilli, things that make you go, hmm. Come on now, that's funny. Young people in the 90s, in the 90s, there was this band called Milli Vanilli, and they were, they were, they were like long dreads, and they were, they were good. They were good, made a lot of money. They were lip syncers. It got exposed that they didn't sing their own lyrics. Everybody that's like 45 and above, we remember 90s hip hop. Things that make you go, hmm. Milli Vanilli, that's what's happening. I digress. Okay, thank you for the courtesy laugh, Jody. So I love you on the front row. You're my good friend. Amazing perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. And then Peter stands up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. To you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, guys. Like this can't, let's just, we don't have to check our common sense at the door. It's only nine o'clock. So don't assume that. That's not what's happening here. I just think that's kind of funny. These men are not drunk, as you supposed. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The prophecy from Joel is happening right now. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Not just, not just the sons, not just the men. All people, your sons and your daughters, my people, my children, my family. I will give my spirit to each of them and they will all be enabled to speak of the glories of God. I will pour out my spirit they, and they will prophesy. Your sons and daughters, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And he goes on and continues to quote through 17 to 21. Let me, let, me, let me say this on this whole scene, Acts 2, 1 to 17 or so. The nature of this experience, I've been a Christian a long time and been in ministry a long time and I mean, I can remember like being a young believer in like high school and like having debates and like, like friction with people about what was happening in the beginning of Acts chapter two. You know, like where you land on, like, where do you land here? Where do you land here? And the Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff. And I just, I just, honestly, I think the point that Luke is making, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and Acts. It's really one, one work, two volumes, I really think what Luke is saying here is pretty simple. We don't have to overthink it. God was giving his people supernatural abilities, empowerment to be a witness. 
That's what was happening. God called them to be a witness, but he said, I'm gonna give you my power to do it. And then he empowered them to do it. And there's all these people there that they were gonna bear witness to, but they didn't speak the same language, so God gave them the language in a moment. And we, we've seen this before in the text. It's not like this should be like too surprising to us. It's like, oh, how did that happen? Well, it's supernatural. It's supernatural. But here's the beauty of this whole story. The beginning, at the very beginning, like Genesis chapter 11, all these people, they like, they like wanted to make a, let's make a great name for ourselves. We're gonna make a great name for ourselves. And so we're gonna build this tower. It's gonna be so high. And we're gonna make a great name for ourselves. And God's like, that ain't gonna happen. Ain't happening. Called the Tower of Babel. And in that moment, as a discipline, God confused all their language. And they scattered. Would you say that that's supernatural? That God in a moment confused them and the people that spoke the language that they didn't know beforehand started speaking a language and then they scattered. Here's what's so amazing about Acts chapter two and this story. At Pentecost, here in Acts two, the Babel confusion is reversed. He scattered them all, Genesis 11. Now, now they're all back in Jerusalem and God gives the same supernatural empowerment to people who didn't speak the language to testify, to witness, so that people could understand the gospel and come home. So, so awesome. Not, not to make a great name for themselves, but to all come under one name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Philippians chapter two. So in this place, the Babel confusion reverse, God redeeming, restoring that discipline in this moment, Acts chapter two, the beginning, the literal beginning of the new covenant church. The response of the people was here, there, and everywhere, which honestly is just like life. It's like life now, Ecclesiastes. Everything, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Some people were utterly amazed. Some people were bewildered, and some people were making fun. They're drunk. And in that place of some people being like, oh my God, perplexed, things are making, I'm not sure what's going on here. And people who are making fun, rejecting, Peter, Peter stands up and begins to proclaim the gospel. The same Peter, by the way, that 50 days earlier Pentecost, 50, 50 days earlier on Passover, the night Jesus was arrested, betrayed, went to the cross on Friday, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? St. Peter on the Sea of Galilee that got restored. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the restoration of Peter's ministry. That St. Peter in this place, all these responses, all this bewilderment, all this amazement, all this making fun, they're drunk, they're, they're, they're people out of their minds, stands up and proclaims the gospel. I'm not gonna read the whole text to you, but let me read from 21 to 24, and then verse 36. And he finishes the Joel prophecy, verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth 
was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you. And through him, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Jesus wasn't a victim. This was, it, he was on a mission. He was not a victim. He was a volunteer. It was a mission that he fulfilled. But God, oh, I'm sorry, this man handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on a cross. The cross, the cross, the cross. But God, who raised him from the dead, resurrection, 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 freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah. Therefore, verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When you look in the New Testament at the gospel proclamation speeches of the apostle Peter and Paul, you will always, you will always hear them read, hear, experience them speaking always one thing, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Always speak about the resurrection of Christ forms form the foundation and the fuel of the new Christian faith. Peter centering everyone in the cross and the resurrection. This is what I'm a witness to. This is the transforming work of God for the world, and you are invited home. You are invited home. And the invitation proclaims the gospel, and then he gives the invitation, which will get us right to 242, where we will begin next week. When the people heard this, when they heard Peter, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, change your mind, believe, and be baptized as evidence of your repentance and belief. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. He had just told them, you crucified Christ. Like, this is on you. And I'm inviting you to be forgiven. I'm inviting you home. I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing to you the same thing that Jesus did for me. If God can forgive me, Peter, for my great failure, he can forgive anyone. If grace is for me, it's for everyone. Come home. Even the ones who put Jesus, the people that were screaming, crucify him. Peter is literally saying to them right now, the promise is for you. There is grace for you. Come home for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Come home. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine a church growing from 120 people to 3,000? 
like Greg said last week, we're not going to three services here. But if we went from a church of 400 to 3,000, we'd probably have to figure some things out. How did that happen? How did the church grow from 120 to 3,000? Was it because of Peter? Did Peter do that? He was a witness, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He was moving, he was acting, he was participating. But that's a, that's a supernatural work of God. Peter was enabled to participate in a supernatural work of God. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses and it was happening. You just be a witness, I'll do the work. You just, you just be the witness, I'll do the work. Start in your neighborhood, start in your neighborhood and let it go out from there. You have been empowered to Rivers Church. You have been enabled. You are called to go. We are called to move. We are invited to participate in the supernatural work, not to do witnessing, but to be a witness and to trust that God is still moving in supernatural ways among us today, I pray. God's spirit on each of you, God's spirit on each of you, enabling, enabling, empowering you by his grace again and again and again. Lord, thank you for this story, this incredible story of the beginning, the very beginning, the birth of the new covenant church centered in the grace and the freedom we have in Christ. The old is gone, the new, the new has come. Each believer filled with the Spirit, each believer empowered, each believer called to be a witness of the, what the power of God can do in our lives. Lord, we, may we as a church community today, all these many generations later, receive, receive our baton from the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us to be salt and light to our friends, to our neighbors, and to the nations in the time that you have given to us. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hearts in this place. Empower us anew. Change us, transform us, heal us. Heal me, I pray in Jesus' name.